If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24. Thanks, Phil. Um, I'm going to read for us this passage. And uh, you can listen along or read along. And then we'll also have it up on the, on the screen eventually. How about one more stand today for the reading of the scriptures? And then we'll, we'll maybe not one more. Maybe it'll be one of more. But um, at least one more. This is from Luke chapter 24. On that same day, two disciples were traveling to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. And while they were discussing these things, Jesus himself arrived and joined them on their journey. And they were prevented from recognizing him. He said to them, what are you talking about as you walk along? They stopped, their faces downcast. The one named Cleopas replied, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who is unaware of the things that have taken place there over the last few days? He said to them, What things? I think this is funny. We should be laughing at this point. Like, Jesus is is having a good time or something. And they said to him, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, Because of his powerful deeds and words, he was recognized by God and all the people as a prophet. But our chief priests, our leaders, handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. All these things happened three days ago. But there's more. Some women from our group have left us stunned. They went to the tomb early this morning and didn't find his body They came to us saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who told them he's alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women said. They didn't see him. And then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. (laughs) I don't know what to do with that one either. Your dull minds keep you from believing all that the prophets talked about. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then he interpreted for them the things written about himself and all the scriptures, starting with Moses, going through all the prophets. And when they came to Emmaus, he acted as if he was going on ahead. But they urged him, saying, stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And after he took his seat at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts on fire when he spoke to us along the road and when he explained the scriptures for us? They got up right then and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying to each other, The Lord really has risen. He appeared to Simon. And then the two disciples described what had happened along the road and how Jesus was made known to them as he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. We're in a series um, this Easter on, on resurrection, and, 
And the way we kind of opened it was like this invitation to consider what's it, what's it mean to have resurrection awareness. And we looked on Easter Sunday at a, this quote from Willie Jennings that the line has been drawn that the followers of Jesus may not cross over. We are the people of resurrection and not of death. Um, and so we've been, we've been looking at stories of resurrection uh, to try to raise our awareness um, as people of resurrection, as to how do we have a, an awareness of resurrection in, in our lives. And so on Easter, we, we looked at the story of Mary at the tomb and, and just this beautiful line that, that Jesus says her name and she recognizes him. That it's in this, this hearing of our own names, of our own stories, um, that we are awakened to God's presence and to, to, to Christ's resurrection in our lives. And then Deborah last week looked at the same story and we really explored this, this moment Mary has of standing outside the tomb, crying, and looking into the tomb. And Deborah invited us to consider in this story what are, what are things in our lives, um, ways that we think about um, our lives or things that, think about things in our lives that, that might be tombs we're staring at, that God's inviting us to, to lift our our gaze from, and I'm putting my own kind of takeaway from that sermon in there, um, but that, 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 that moment of what are the tombs in our lives that God might be inviting us to, to stop staring into? Um, and today we're going we, to look at this story that, uh, that we just read, and the question in this story, and we looked at this question a while back in our Je- Questions Jesus Asked series, it's just... I just laugh every time. And Jesus walking up to them. They're walking along. They're downcast. What are, you, what are you talking about as you walk along the road? And it's just a fun question to think about ourselves. What are we, like nowadays, talking about as we walk along the road? What's on our hearts? What's on our minds? Um, around our neighborhood this weekend, we're talking about this guy who uh, showed up in our back alley on Friday. Um, about 15 feet from me, believe it or not, and our neighbor, um, when all of a sudden another neighbor said, um, right behind you is a bear, and we just looked around, and there he was. Um, so we're talking about that in our neighborhood right now. Ari then sent a text of the picture to a friend, hey, the bear's heading your way, and then the friend sent a picture back saying, oh, you mean this one? And uh, the bear was in the pool in their backyard. So that's what we've been talking about this weekend. Um, what else do we talk about, though, as we walk along, right? Things that catch our attention, things that are fun, silly, maybe surprise. Uh, sometimes when it's just two, like this was, um, sometimes it's stuff that really matters to us. Sometimes it's real, stuff that really has caught our attention or energizes us. Um, what, are you, what are you talking about as you walk along the road? What's on our minds um, how, do we, how do we look at those things with resurrection awareness? This passage begins and there's this scene that, you know, we can, I think we all kind of empathize, right? The two disciples are traveling about seven miles. It's on um, the day of Jesus' resurrection. In Luke before, it says that the disciples had considered what the women had told them nonsense. So these two at least maybe changed the story a little or maybe they thought a little bit uh, more of what the women had shared with them. But they, they left town. They, Jesus had died. You can imagine the hopelessness they felt, right? And they had, they had decided to, to head on back. And on the one hand, I can really, I mean, empathize, right, with the hopelessness they feel. We had hoped 
they said. Um, they had hoped that Jesus was going to change their lives. Uh, Jesus had changed their lives, but they had hoped that Jesus was going to change their lives in some different kind of ways, some massive kind of ways, um, political and religious and social kind of ways. And now Jesus was dead. Jesus was gone. Um, and you can kind of pick up though a little bit of a posture I just want to kind of point at for us today of, of sometimes our imagination of life can lead to um, a feeling or a sense of hopelessness. Um, and that happens when we kind of look at life um, with, with, with kind of this, this solid line between ourselves and things that are happening in the world. Um, and sometimes these things can be really beautiful things. They can be things that we're really excited about. And our kind of insides and how we're feeling is based on what those things are. Something somebody you know, says on the news that we're all for. Something that happens in the economy that helps our you know, bank account. Something that is just fun to hear about. But it can also be things that a congressperson says or the news says that kind of just tears us up on the inside. But when we, when we, we can go at life looking at it as if it's this thing that is happening to us. And you can, you can get bits of, of that in this story as the disciples leave Jerusalem. Things have happened. They're moving on. Um, they're going back to, to what was. Separation is real in life to a degree, right? There's things that happen in our lives um, that, that is real to agree. Um, but when, to a degree, excuse me. But when we, when we have this passive view of things happening consistently to us that we sense we have no agency in or, or we don't, um, don't think that we have any involvement or participation in, it leads to a, a, a space in life where we might say what they said, we had hoped. A really disempowered feeling. A really kind of stuck feeling. And there's a whole range of intensities, right, of these kinds of moments in our lives. Um, and so they're kind of stuck. Um, and they tell Jesus about it, that, you know, the tomb, it was empty, but, but we don't know what's going on. And um, they didn't see him there. Um, things didn't go as we had hoped. I want to read this next part of this story again to us. And I want you to hear, listen for like three different theological like kind of moments in this. One, listen, listen to how their hearts change. Listen to kind of the Eucharistic journey. There's a heart journey in this story. There's a Eucharist journey in this story that entails kind of a different way of thinking about hope. Um, and so Jesus said to them, again, kind of tough words, you fool, how foolish are you? How slow of heart. We begin with, we had hoped. We begin with slow of heart. Um, to believe all that the prophets have declared 
Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And he interpreted for them the things written about himself and all the scriptures, starting with Moses and going through the prophets. And they came to Emmaus, and he acted as if he was going on. But they urged him, saying, stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day is almost over. And he went and he stayed with them, and he took his seat at the table with them. And he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. They might remember being at the feedings when Jesus did these very things. They might remember Jesus on the night before he was crucified doing these things with the disciples. Um, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And yet he, he disappears. Um, there's, there's, there's more to the journey. And following Christ. Um, weren't our hearts on fire? Slow of heart to hearts on fire. All in this Eucharistic journey. Um, with enough hope that they got right up. It's probably nighttime. It's seven miles away. They just walked seven miles to Emmaus home. Um, they got right up. And they had hope enough that they returned to Jerusalem and found the other disciples. Um, resurrection awareness, it, it involves an, a, a journey of our hearts. Um, it involves an opening um, of our hearts. We can be so busy, so focused on what our day-to-day -day holds. We can, we got, and, and understandably so, we've got responsibilities, we've got bills to pay, we've got jobs to do, um, we've got things to get done, um, and day to day to day to day, right? And we can, we can lose track of this invitation and this, this really important reality of life, which is that the opening up our hearts um, is a part of being aware of the newness around us. The second journey of, of Eucharist, um, which is so linked to Jesus' presence, right? Emmanuel, our, our Christmas message. But, but that a resurrection awareness is, is just wrapped up in this journey that we take every week as a church to and from the temple. Where we, we are gathered here. That somebody says these words that Jesus says. That our very life is taken. Is blessed. Our story, each and every story in this room or, or connected to us, it's taken and it's blessed. The brokenness of our lives is acknowledged um, and it's given um, as we eat and drink um, the, the, the meal of God's newness and God's kingdom. Um, and, and very similarly, we don't just stay here. Jesus we always say the light, the, the light changes, right? And the smoke goes out. And we, just like Jesus in this story, we then move from this table to be Christ's body um, in the world. And so we enter a world with that story and with that awareness of God's presence. We enter a world not, not disempowered. Um, not just having to take what we get. Not hopeless and despondent 
because nothing can change. Um, this table feeds us and nourishes us. Our relationships with one another feed us and nourish us so that we can go out and we can, we can be people of hope. I can, I can be a part of something that changes these realities I'm not comfortable with or I'm not okay with. Um, what, are the, what are the kind of the holes in your life, those, those things in your life that, that are, that's easy to draw a line, uh, you know, from? Like, oh, my, my household, my job, um, these social issues that I care so deeply about. My friendships, like, uh, it's just, they just keep happening. And maybe the invitation is to, is to, to kind of rethink, like, well, yeah, they're, they're happening. And it's not all up to you on how they happen. And yet you are also a part of those realities. And you can bring about change because God is with us and God is ahead of us. And we can, we can be a part of something new. We can have a different kind of awareness Last night, there was a little get-together for Food Ed. Kristen Ritzau is a part of our church. She runs a nonprofit called Food Ed. And it was a, like, a, like a thank you dinner kind of thing. And it was, it was great to be there. And I haven't asked Jen permission to tell this story, but it just fits so perfectly. Jen's nervous. It's a positive one. Jen was talking about how Jen is a new board member of Food Ed, which is exciting. And Jen was talking about this podcast she had listened to about environmentalism, right? Global, I don't know if global warming, but just like, how do you get involved in such a big issue? And the encouragement was like, do what you do for a group that's doing the work. And so she is an accountant, and so she volunteered, has been volunteering to, to do that with Food Ed, and she jumped on the board, and she's doing what she does for this big thing that could just feel like there's this big line between her and this reality. And she's saying, no, I'm, I'm, I can move and I can be a part. I can be a part of the newness in even the, the tiniest of ways. Um, what's happening in the world? Um, these are big things. They're big things in our lives. But recognizing, you know, God is with us. God is in those spaces. Can, I can do something. It won't be everything. But I can do something. Um, I was listening to some pastors share on Thursday. And one of the pastors was talking about different ministries. And, and, and kind of similar to some language we use around here. We will we'll often say that our, our work here is not a solution to much. But it's a sign and a witness to what's possible because of God, uh, this pastor said, is what you're doing as a church, could, it, could Jesus say, the kingdom of God is like, dot, dot, dot. And I like that. Um, it doesn't have to be enormous. Um, the kingdom of God is like a woman who just had barely anything, but she gave it, you know. Um, that is a posture of hope. Um, a posture of newness, of resurrection. You are happening in the world. And your offering can be used by God for newness. 
no matter how big or impossible the situation may, may feel. Kind of in light of all that, I want to address a couple things um, that, that some of you are aware of, some of you may not be aware of, but, but I, I think it fits really with this, um, this sense of, of how we might participate in, in God's journey and God's work in the world. Um, what are we talking about on the, on the road? Um, last week we talked about giving at Mountainside. We've been talking about giving a lot at Mountainside. Uh, money and our financial challenges. Um, and I just want to name, that doesn't need to be a situation that, with a big old line that we're just kind of have to, have to deal with. Right? Rob and Jordan shared so just honestly and wonderfully last week. I think it was they're, they're, they're discouraged like many of us that we're unable to do some of the things financially we've wanted to do as a church. Things like compassionate action at 10%. Um, th- supporting our staff as, 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 as much as we'd like right now. Um, and so I thought Jordan Rob's sharing last week, an invitation to, to consider kind of the ways we think about each of our household giving is a good example of like, look, we, there's a dotted line here. It's not a solid line. We, we are a part of this, this scenario together and we can do what we can do to bring newness to our financial kind of health and, and life here at the church. Um, so I want us to think about that challenge together like that. Like, yeah, this is something that we're facing and we, we can do this together, even when it makes, requires some hard choices, whether as a household or, or as a church. The bigger one, though, that I wanted to mention to you is we've got a lot going on right now in our denomination as a church. Um, and so some of you are are vaguely familiar that we're a part of a group called the Church of the Nazarene. Some of you are not familiar at all. Um, some of you are new with us today. Welcome to the family business. Um, we, uh, we've got a lot going on. And so I, I, I want to name this for us just so that we're all um, on the same page in terms of what's happening. We can be praying about this because it, it, does, it does potentially have ways of, of, of kind of touching our life as a church too. Um, but it's also one of those things where I don't want us to, to see it as this thing happening out there that just happens to us. No, we are invited to be a part of this that I'm about to describe. Um, so uh, a few weeks ago, um, and, and some of, these are all kind of connected through, through in, in, in one way or another, but not always direct. But a few weeks ago, there was a professor at Point Loma, which is our, our kind of regional school down in San Diego, who was fired. And um, there's even some different stories about whether or not he was fired or not. There were some different stories about why. Um, uh, most, most, most people feel that there's some, some kind of connection with some support he had given. He was the dean of the School of Theology and some support he had given to an adjunct faculty member who, was, um, who had, had recently left the denomination and noting one of the reasons was because she wanted to be a part of a denomination that was just open and affirming with people in the LGBTQ community. And so this dean of the School of Theology had supported her in, in keeping her position. Um, and, and somehow, whether it has to do with his, his support of her or communication he offered out of that situation, um, he, his, his position was terminated. Um, his employment, I should say, was terminated. Um, shortly after... Um, 
our like biggest governing body, which is like six people called the Board of General Superintendents. We'll have a polity quiz on this later. Um, and they're, they, they lead the denomination, which is an international and global denomination. Um, they, they issued, unfortunate language, they issued something called a ruling. Um, and this ruling basically um, tried to connect some sections of our polity called the manual to where the first section is our articles of faith, which have always been considered kind of essential doctrine. And then the second two sections are called the covenant of Christian character and the covenant of Christian conduct. And those have been not described as essential like the articles of faith have been. Um, And they have ruled uh, that that these are all essential. And what that essentially does is they're trying to, it it seems, this is not articulated by them, this is not a a direct statement, but there are those who have either been in ordination, who have been put on trial for some of their views or teaching around LGBTQ inclusion and affirmation, um, that have been able to not lose their credentials because of the way these were distinguished in the manual. And then there's also some younger generations of people wanting to be ordained and who have been able to kind of say, yes, I'm in, I'm in good conscience with the essentials, which is this articles of faith. And now the generals are trying to say, well, we, we want to bring this together. And on the one hand, I can understand that. You want your ideas and your practice linked as organizations, as faith communities. Um, but, but on the other hand, it's a, it's a real challenge, and it's, a, and it's kind of a move of, of, of clarity that, that many in our body, I think, would be uncomfortable with. Not all, though. I know that, but, but many. Um, so that happened. We'll see. We'll see how connected this stuff is. Um, we'll see how this plays out. Um, but this did this did happen. Shortly after that, just a few days later, this book came out, which is 500 pages, 490 pages. It's got 90 different contributors, um, some of which are people from the queer community, some of which are allies and friends of people from the queer community. And then a third of the essays are from scholars at Nazarene institutions around the country. Um, and the title of the book, if you can't read it, Why the Church of the Nazarene Should Be Fully LGBTQ Plus Affirming. So we throw this into the pot of the, of the situation that's going on. Maybe that ruling, I mean, they clearly knew this book was coming. Maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. But that's a part of the, the, the stew that we're, we're now living in. And then I think, you know, personally, what most, like, um, eyebrow-raising, heart-thumping is uh, one contributor, uh, our beloved Craig Keene, who is a member of our church. He is a contributor to this, to this book. I've got a few other colleagues and friends, most of the people I don't know. But one other is a pastor at San Diego, First Church of the Nazarene on campus at Point Loma. Great person. And he has he's been asked for his credentials as a pastor by a district 
his district. He has said no. Um, and so what that means is there'll be some kind of trial or some kind of like discernment uh, with that, which as you, as you can imagine, that gives me a little bit of like, huh, okay. Um, just so you know, I've already been asked about that for us by our district superintendent. Like he's, he's talked to me about our work and our, our life and, and how we welcome people from the LGBTQ community into our life. Um, so all that is going on and, um, I want you to know that, um, because we're a church that welcomes all people and stories to this table. Um, we are a church that affirms people's stories and journeys um, as they come to this table, as we all work out our stories and journeys with God and one another. If you are a person who is a part of the LGBTQ community or if you have family members or loved ones who are, you are welcome here as you journey through life. We love you. Um, We want you to, to take this meal of God's presence each and every week that you want to with this body, with loved ones. Um, And that's who we have been and that's who we want to be. Um, We're a church made up of people largely, I'm going to make some generalizations here, who have maybe not been um, raised in church communities that have affirmed people in the LGBTQ community, we, we may be have even taught some things growing up that we're kind of working through still. And we still have like some instincts and some like some habits or even some thoughts and ideas um, that we're trying to sort out. And we're on our own journey. Um, you are welcome here with that journey to this table. So long as we're not hurting, um, being mean, uh, being unwelcoming to those in the LGBTQ community who are a part of us and are coming. Like, our journeys are welcome here. Um, and I would guess that there are people in our body who love people who are a part of the LGBTQ community, who um, are, are thrilled that, that, the, that our friends are a part of this church and are sorting out faith, and yet still might even in their hearts have feel a little more traditional or a little bit more. Um, and, and again, this we've been saying this lately. The L is different than the G, which is different than the B, dif- different than the T and the Q. Like these are all journeys that, that people are on. Um, and so there's people in our church who are trying to sort out what that all means and, and, and what, that, what that looks like in the life of faith. I think ultimately what we want to always remind one another is that each of us are so much more, so much more than our sexual orientation, than our sexual practice, than our sense of our gender. We are just, we are just so much more than just that, even though that is a really important aspect of human life and who we are. And so we want to say as Mountainside, like, like those two disciples, right? 
we're, we're on a journey and we're coming to this table and everybody is welcome to do that. Um, to come and to eat and to be a part and to then move empowered, not disempowered, not shamed, not minimized, but to move empowered to be people of hope um, in the world that God, is, that God loves. Um, so, so what are we going to do, Josh? Like, how's it going to look? The, the truth is, I don't know. I have no idea. It, it may mean nothing. This may be like a way bigger deal than I needed to make of it. Um, and if that's the case, wonderful. Um, I have no idea what, what kind of the future holds. What I do want to make sure of, though, is that we're not feeling disempowered in this conversation. We're not feeling stuck. Um, I think we should read, we should have some book groups and read some of these stories. The truth of the matter is we were kind of on our way to writing something similar for our community a number of years ago uh, that, got, that got stalled. So I think we should have some book groups where we read some of these stories and we learn and listen. Jonathan, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, I've not been asked that. I've been asked... About our church, yeah, and some of the things that we're, we're, we've been about. Um, some of our BLM stuff, I got a little, some questions, suspicious questions about that. Um, so, uh, maybe, no, 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 sorry, thank you. No, 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 yeah, year and a half ago, two years ago, yeah, thank you, yeah. So, I, I just say that to say, like, if there's such a thing as a radar, like a, a, a curiosity, uh, we, might, we might be in that. You know, I, don't, I just don't know. Um, so thank you for that. Deborah, did you have a question? Oh, okay. Not, not recently. No, no. Tiffany and I, sorry, one other piece of this. Tiffany and I were at a, some meetings of pastors. Oh, wow. Come on back, kids. Um, <laughs> um, on Thursday... And nothing was even said of this, which was, like, at least formally, like at, at, around lunch, at the, coffee, at the coffee, you know, spout, definitely. But, um, and, and, I, and I think there's people within our tradition and denomination that are uproar, in an uproar, and you've probably seen some of that on social media, and it's been beautiful to see that happening. And there's people around the globe who, who think differently, um, and so this is a big and complicated and real situation that we're in. And so where I was going is, I don't want us disempowered in it. I want us to be reading this book. I want us to be loving on people who are a part of our church, who are a part of the LGBTQ community, making sure they know they're, they're okay here, they're safe here. Um, Craig Keene is a, is a former member of our church. He's got some, some thoughts on all this. He may, we might invite him to, to come and be with us on a Sunday coming up just to talk about why in the world he would stay in this tradition because that's what he wants to do. And I know he's, he's somebody that's been influential for many of us. We need to have our own conversations, which we've already made commitments to do in our restorative justice process, um, and we'll be working on that. But as we, as we head to the table, I'm open for, for questions. I'm open for, for conversations. Um, and this is just the beginning of the conversation. But, but what I want to say is we want to be people of hope. Not, not stuck 
in anger, not stuck feeling powerless, not stuck in contentment. We don't want to be stuck. We want to be people of hope that God gathers each week at this table to feed, to bless, to remind us of who we are, to remind us that there is diversity amongst us and different stories amongst us and that somehow God can turn that into unity and God can turn that into a beautiful thing um, as the people of God. Um, I want to read one more quote. I, I do want to do this. This is from a pastor in Oklahoma, a colleague. He's already been on trial for this whole thing and came out okay. We'll see. Um, he, uh, he's a beloved pastor of Phil and Aaron. I think he did your wedding. Is that right? Um, what? Part of it. But he writes this, and I'm reading this because he notes some of like the Nazarene origin story. He says, We Nazarenes have a peculiar origin story. The pioneers of our movement didn't agree. And that's true. There was groups from L.A., from the southern states, the east coast, that came together in 1908, roughly, and formed this denomination with disagreements um, right from the beginning. Even where some of the most important tenets of faith are concerned, our founders couldn't and didn't agree. But they prioritized being and staying together in the hopes that what united them would be stronger than what would divide them. In that same spirit of hopeful inclusiveness, these writers, he's talking about this book, dream of a tent large enough to house our differences. May we learn again the power of dignity, inclusion, diversity, breadth, and love. Um, it's another way of saying we, we all come to the table together. Um, and by God's grace, um, we're affirmed in who we are in our journeys. That um, our lives are caught up in this work of God. And there's so much more um, than any one aspect. As important as that aspect might be. Um, of who we are. Amen.